Hello and welcome to the stories of Northern Life from the Sault Ste. Marie Museum. Thank you so much for being here. With every episode, you are learning a little more about Sault Ste. Marie history and gaining a greater appreciation of our Northern community, the moments, the people, and the places. The Sioux Museum is here to preserve your history, but also to share it in as many engaging and entertaining ways as we can. Your support and engagement with our content keeps the cycle going and allowing us to expand and grow, offering more back to you, our community. So thank you. Season two of the Stories of Northern Life podcast is coming soon. Until then, we are resharing a few episodes over the past two years, that's 100 episodes, that we love and think that you will too. Hello and welcome to the Stories of Northern Life from the Sault Ste. Marie Museum. Today, I get to share with you an interview with a kind and intelligent person named Bryant McBride. He has been on my list for a few years now to reach out to, and I'm so happy he agreed to chat with me. And so you can hear his words for yourself. But before I get into it, I want to share a little more background on who he is and what he has achieved. So, Bryant McBride was born on May 30th, 1965 in Chicago, Illinois. His mom remarried and they moved here to Sault Ste. Marie, Ontario, Canada when he was just five. As most of us know, Sault Ste. Marie is considered a hotbed of hockey activity, having produced upwards of 40 players that went on to the NHL, including the legendary Ron Francis. Ron was a regular opponent of McBride's when the two were growing up and they still are very close friends. McBride graduated from Bawading High School in 1983. His talent on the ice attracted the interest of West Point Military Academy. Since his mother was an American citizen, the door was open to West Point. But before he can go, they wanted him to attend an American school first. So he went to Wilston Northampton, a prep school in East Hampton, Massachusetts. In 1984, Bryant McBride became the first African-American class president at the famed United States Military Academy all while playing hockey and being in the glee club. He only stayed at the school for one and a half years. He said West Point was one of the greatest schools in the world at what it does, and that is train army officers. But becoming an officer was just not what he wanted to do. So he went on to Trinity College in Hartford, Connecticut in 1986. He chose the school for academic reasons but he was also offered a scholarship to play hockey for the Division II school. With the team, they won the Eastern Collegiate Athletic Conference Championship and was named Division II All-American in 1988. And again, he was the first black class president in his senior year. After his hard work in his undergrad years, he was accepted to Harvard University and completed a master's degree in public administration in 1990. After a few great jobs and meeting his wife, he was looking for his next move. McBride had a friend who worked as an executive with the Detroit Red Wings. He faxed Gary Bettman, the commissioner of the NHL at the time, Bryant's resume. Soon, Bryant went to New York to meet the commissioner. After the meeting, Bryant was named the director of new business development 
with the charge to grow the game and by giving more people a chance to play hockey. He accomplished many great things throughout his tenure at the NHL, not to mention becoming the highest ranking African-American executive in the history of the National Hockey League. He divided his role into four categories and duties. One, to build more community ranks, ice rinks for people of all ages to have access to at all hours of the day and night. McBride spearheaded the construction of new rinks in North Hampshire, Connecticut, Indiana, and Michigan. Second goal was to attract more minority kids to the sport. He never had a black teammate. From his experience being called names on the ice as a kid, he wanted to eliminate the intimidation of playing hockey for upcoming minority kids. Getting more players of color to the NHL and letting that become a new standard was another goal. McBride was in charge of the NHL assist program, assist standing for assists, shooters, and skaters in succeeding together. The plan gives 100000 a year to needy hockey players in Hungary, Romania, as well as handicap programs and girls teams in the United States. He served as the league's representative in monitoring the European Hockey League, which made strides in providing an avenue for the NHL expansion into Europe. When he began his tenure at the NHL, there were only six hockey organizations for inner city kids across the United States and Canada. Today, with the help of the NHL and USA Hockey, McBride has created a diversity task force made up of 26 inner city organizations across North America. He even recruited Willie O'Ree, the first black player in the NHL, to serve as a role model to young African American kids who might have an interest in playing hockey. Bryant is also the producer of Willie, a sports documentary film on pioneering hockey player Willie O'Ree, who played in the National Hockey League for Boston Bruins in the 1957-58 season as well as the 1960-1961 season. The film stars Willie O'Ree himself, of course, Gary Bettman, and our Sir James Dunn alumni Wayne Gretzky. Leadership has been in his repertoire of skills for a long while before building startups and taking on important leadership roles. Since 2000, he has built seven startups, all at the intersection of sports and technology. One of his startups is a leading user-generated content engagement platform for broadcasters, media companies, and brands called Burst. Companies like MTV, Fox News, TSN, Radio Disney, The Weather Channel, and CNBC to name a few, use the platform. This man is unstoppable, so please stick around and listen to our conversation this past Tuesday, February 21st. Hello. I can't hear you. I'm not sure if that's on my... How's that? Is that better? Yeah. Yes. Okay, great. And just so I have it in the right, is your name Mari? Mari, yes. And how's it spelled? It's spelled a little bit different. How's it spelled again? M-A-I-R-I. My daughter's name is M-A-R-I, Mari. Really? No way. <laughs> Marialsa is her full name. Yeah, yours has one extra I yes, compared right. to my daughter's, yes. That's the Scottish way my wife is saying. Yes. Yes, yes exactly. Okay, awesome. Well, great to meet you. Great yeah, to meet you me. too. I'm so happy to have you here today. 
Um, so as you know, I came across your story on Facebook a few years ago, um, and we made a little post as well on your achievements, um, because you very are very well accomplished, and a lot of where your passions lie surrounding a topic the Sioux is very passionate about, hockey. Um, unfortunately, I'm not super passionate about hockey, um, but I am interested in people's stories, especially people that have achieved great things coming from little isolated Sault Ste. Marie, Ontario, Canada. Um, so I'd like to shed a light on you and your story because it deserves to be shared as an example of what we can all achieve and what trailblazing can be done coming from Sault Ste. Marie. So thank you so much for taking the time to chat. Happy to do it. Happy to do it. Glad uh, to be asked. Yeah. So I'd love to dive into your beginnings here in the Sioux and get a better understanding of how you propelled to be where you are today. Um, so let's start right at the beginning. Um, can you paint me a picture of your early life here in Sioux Ste. Marie? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I um I moved I moved to the Sioux when I was five. Um, I was born in Chicago. Um, was moved. Um, you know, my my mom um, married my dad, who technically is my stepdad, but he's my dad. I've only yeah. you know known him, and he actually visit. He's almost ninety now, and he visited us last week for my daughter's birthday. So he he has raised me and us. Excuse me, and been an incredible influence on my life. Gave me incredible opportunities, frankly. And he's from the Sioux, you know, so when, when uh, my mom and he met in Chicago, um, when I was really young, when I was four or five years old, they decided to marry and, and raise us in, in Sault Ste. Marie. And uh, I had no idea where I was going, what was mm -hmm. happening, but it turned out to be one of the most incredible strokes of luck. And it, it, it really, it literally changed my life. It mm -hmm. defined um, my trajectory coming from Sault Ste. Marie. And I, um, and I tell everyone proudly to this day that I'm from the Sioux. It, it was just such an incredible place to grow up. Um, just, you know, I love sports, as you know. Um, I got the opportunity to just play, you know, play sports every season. Um, I saw some of your questions beforehand. Mm -hmm. Probably some of the most the most signature moments um, in my in my childhood were were playing. Uh, on school rinks, you know, where they had to maintain a rink behind every school, every uh, grade school in the Sioux. And um, so, yeah, so I, I, you know, I remember one quick vignette, um, getting to school at, at 6.37 in the morning, playing until 8.45 when you had to, you know, go, go into the school, um, taking our skates off in the school, going all day, playing at lunch, getting back on the ice at 3.05, playing until six skating oh. home on the roads literally, yeah. literally i don't think you can still do it because of climate change but literally skating home on the roads and then going into my house in my skates walking around in the house in skates with uh with newspaper and plastic down so i wouldn't damage the floors eating my dinner as fast as i could then going back out to play for another two or three hours that was every day it's kind of like uh, the sweater, right? <laughs> With uh, the famous uh, the famous book, but that's that was literally what I did and um, what we all did, and it's the reason that there are so many NHL players and coaches from the Sioux. That's yeah. literally the reason. And uh, I was I was in the guts of that system and um, uh, that movement and played with so many NHL players who I still stay in touch with. Ronnie Francis is a dear friend, um, you know. So still. Uh, Still, I mean, you tell people in hockey circles that I'm from Sault Ste. Marie and it means you're legitimate. Mm, yes, yes. So, 
long, long, long answer. Sorry, but no, yeah. that was beautiful. That was beautiful. Um, where did you go to elementary school? Whereabouts were you living at the time? Yeah, I was living. I went to I went to Kuwaitan Public School, okay. and uh, I went to Bawading. What was Bawading, and now is Lake Superior, I think. Yes, right? that's where um, I went. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, we went to the same school and um different building but same we were on the same ground um and um yeah so you know i lived up near um i lived up near um sue buildings and works on sackville road um right there i lived right yeah. across the street on sackville road then i moved to LaSalle court around the corner uh, not far away and um yeah and spent a ton of time um you know i i, I like this is a good example I went to, um, I, I like to tell stories, as you can tell, it's a better way to, to do things. I love to hear um, stories. So. Well, it's, it's just a better, people remember that, remember it better, hopefully. So, um, like I would, I would start, I would start on LaSalle Court, stretching, getting, you know, working out, and then I'd run to Fort Creek, mm -hmm. right, before a lot of the housing was built. It was still very much, it's still a conservation area, of course, yes. right? So I would run to the to the hill, Fort Creek Hill, right near the dam. You know, you know where that is. Mm -hmm, yep. And I literally would run that hill 15, 20, 30 times a day, like just insane. And um, and then took it from there to Searchmont and would run that. And this is all in preparation to go to West Point. Right. So when I got to West Point and they were, it's very, very hard. It's it's the hazing and it's just it's incredibly strenuous and it's just incredibly difficult very challenging mentally they they we got to the bottom they do different things to really test us physically mm -hmm. and so one day they pulled up in front of a ski hill all of us 1500 of us and i was like awesome <laughs> <laughs> because of fort creek and searchmont you know so i came third out of 1500 on that on that ski hill run and i was a hockey player they were like who are you like well, you're not a cross-country runner um so yeah it worked out really well so anyway i just it just that's that's um i think indicative of the suit just it just prepared me for so much yeah. you know the academics were were really good you know i ended up going to harvard um you know, you have to have some good teachers to, for that to happen. Definitely, and I had I had amazing teachers at in grade school at Bawading, um, incredible teachers, frankly, and um, who really took an interest and who really cared, got me um, got me to a place where I could uh, um, go to a, a school in the states that, and I didn't miss a beat. I did did well at, at all of them. That's incredible to to hear. So putting yourself in the shoes of your high school self, what were you thinking in terms of your, your future? What, what did you imagine? Yeah, 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 yeah. No, I, I knew exactly what I wanted to do. And this is, I don't want it to sound too crazy, but, um, I, you know, I wanted to be relevant in the sports world. That's what I wanted to do. You know, I, I wanted to be able to go to the Super Bowl if I wanted to, or go to Wimbledon or, you know, and, and have business to attend to and have important things to, that I was working on. Right. And that's luckily, that's what I've been able to do. So I knew that when I was 12 years old, I told that's... my mom that she was like, what do you mean? Like sports <laughs> marketing wasn't a discipline. It didn't exist. Mm -hmm. Right. But I, I thought that if I could work in sports, I'd always be happy. And yeah. that's what, that's largely what I've done. Yeah. That's incredible that you, you just knew, I feel like that's, that's what we all need that sets you in the right direction to go places. Yeah. I mean, 
a good example is I, I you know this is very early on it was in my teens and I, I was fascinated by um, the history of sports mm-hmm. right and um, I remember reading about the Homestead Grays and the Kansas City Monarchs they were Negro League baseball teams and I was like whoa they had to play in different leagues they weren't allowed you know so all of that started to really hit me those they planted those seeds you know, uh, around social justice that I'm, I'm incredibly active in. I saw, you know, it's, you know, I'm happy to talk about that if you'd like. Um, so it planted those seeds. So I remember learning about Buck O'Neill, who was, um, you know, one of the great Negro League players. And I'm making a movie about his life right now. Wow. Amazing. <laughs> I'll send you the, I'll send you the trailer. Yes, please. Yeah. Yes, please. Yeah. It, it, I'm working on it with Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment and oh. the Toronto Maple Leafs and, um, uh, Hall Hockey Hall of Fame. This is on. It's on Herb Carnegie, who just got into the Hockey Hall of Fame. A black okay. player that I was, uh, I I was uh, behind. I was helpful in making that happen, and so we made this film called One Week in November about these two gentlemen who weren't allowed to play, persevered, changed the world, mm-hmm. um, so that other people wouldn't have to go through what they went through, um, found a way, came tantalizingly close in 2006 when they're in their 80s and 90s to getting into the hall of fame they both just barely missed out while they were alive and they died shortly afterwards 16 years later white black brown people all got together kept took that baton and they both got in this past november that's what that's what the film's about Yes. I tried looking for your other film that you produced, Willie, and I couldn't seem to find it. So if well, you have... it just went up on CBC Gem. Okay. Like last week. So you can wow. get it on CBC Gem. Yeah. So okay. it just we just did a new deal with CBC. So you, I was looking at it earlier today. It, it looks great. It's one of the new, it says, you know, new, new films, uh, new documentaries, and you'll, you'll see it. Awesome. Perfect. Great. Um, cause if not, I was going to ask if we could screen it here at the museum. Sometimes we do movies. We're happy to. Yeah. If you, if you yeah. ever, you know, I, you know, I don't get home a lot. Um, but if you, I don't know if you guys, um, you know, have budgets for those kinds of things or whatever. I have other film, you know, I, I'm the co-producer, so I do have a responsibility to uh, others that, you know, so we do charge right. for screenings, right. but if you do, um, I'm happy to, happy to do it. Yeah. So another question, uh, like you, you kind of just mentioned there, how often do you come back to Sault Ste. Marie and have you been back? Yeah, I, I, I get back. I get back a lot. You know, I haven't been back since the pandemic, unfortunately, but, um, you know, you, you were at Superior Heights, Superior Heights. Yeah. Um, so you probably ran across Sir, Mr. Ayako, Sergio Ayako at Cora. He's one of my dearest friends in the world. Um, I talked to him last week, um, yeah. you know, so, um, so yeah, I get back to see him and Sam Medaglia and, uh, Peter Nero and, uh, George DiBernardino. And, uh, I mean, I just have a, I, Tim Lucenda, I, I have a hundred friends there still that are still really near and dear to my heart. So, and my dad lives there six months of the year. So, okay. Um, so, so yeah, so I get back as, mu- as much as I possibly can and, cousins that are there still um so so yeah it's uh it's it's i still i'll always call it home yeah you'll have to come by the sioux saint museum i would love to now (laughs) are you located i I remember you used to be near the old is it the emmettinger house yeah yeah so we're the big building with the clock tower on the top so right on the corner of queen and Mm -hmm. uh yeah right there okay yeah okay awesome 
Yeah. <laughs> and if you have any photos or videos you would love to share with us, um, we can put it into the collection and have um, you a spot for you in the collection as well as promo wow. for this episode. That'd be absolutely amazing. Wow, We're working on redoing our sports gallery soon. That's quite an offer. So. Um, I'm only in one other museum that I'm really proud of. I'm in the, um, um, because of work I did at the NHL and I was the first black executive there and with Willie O'Ree, um, my, my shin pads um, and my hockey equipment is in the uh, Smithsonian in the, um, the Museum of um, African-American History. So that, that's that's my one museum. So We're no Smithsonian, but <laughs> so, we'd be but happy, happy, to, happy to do it. Yeah, no, I, let me think about that a little bit. Um, as to what I would have, and um, it may take me a little bit, but yeah. I, I you have your full permission to bother me to send your stuff, and I'll make <laughs> sure that that myself or my partner or my uh, colleague Linda, Gwen, and, and my colleague Linda will will help us on that. Awesome, thank you. Um, let's see, what else do I want to ask you? Um, so maybe what is diversity like in hockey today? And um, what are some like sure. actionable things that, that place like Sioux St. Marie could implement to help bring diversity to the game? Yeah, I mean, you know, hey, it's, it's, it's a, I've been doing this for a long time. I've been doing it for about 30 years. I never had a teammate of color, you know, in my time. Um, and um, I very much, that always bothered me. And it's, you know, when I got to the point where I could do something about that where I got to the NHL, I looked around, this is in the, in the 90s, right? So there was no DEI, so to speak, right? Um, and I said, you know what, I have to do something about this. And, and in earnest, I went to Gary and um, went to Commissioner Batman and, um, and said, you know what, we need to do something about this. And he said, absolutely, what do you want to do? And I said, let me think about it. And the first thing I did was I went and I, um, when I was 10 years old, I went to the library I went to the Sioux library and I looked for um, first black hockey player and there was Willie O'Ree and I was really upset with him because I wanted to be the first black player, but I got past it. Uh, that lasted from 10 to 12 and um, I got past it. And, um, and then when I got to the NHL, I made a point to find him and that's in the film. You'll see all that played out in the film. I had a friend of mine who was black FBI agent who helped me find him. And, um, and we tracked him down and uh, I met him and I was just blown away by who he was. Earnest, humble, incredibly, um, just passionate and amazing man who was working security in San Diego. He was 61 and the whole world had forgotten about him. And I said, and you know, I, I, that I couldn't believe. And then at the same breath, there's on his wall in his office, there's the Order of Canada. Wow the highest civilian honor given by the Canadian government, right? And I was like, this is crazy. So I figured out how to hire him. It took a while, but I figured out how to hire him. And he still works for the NHL today. Wow. And, you know, watching his jersey get retired in the Boston Garden a year ago was emotional. I cried. It was, that's, that was 20 some years of work. Mm -hmm. And just to really shine a light on his story, and have people understand the importance of who he was and what he had to navigate to get there. Now, as it pertains to the, the Sioux and every other hockey community, mm -hmm. you know, it's about intentionality, mm -hmm. right? It's really about intentionality because the two superpowers of racism, frankly, are it's invisibility. Mm -hmm. it's just, it's what we swim in. It's what we all 
navigate on a daily basis is the is the construct and, and frankly the false construct that was that permeates everything we do in North America, mm -hmm. right? That some people is a caste system, if you will. I don't know if you're um, a reader. I'm sure you are, but Isabel Wilkerson's book Caste, C-A-S-T-E, brilliant, and it really kind of helps you understand mm -hmm. racism's invisibility as a superpower. Yeah. And the second superpower is its ability to propagate without just by being still, by doing nothing, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Um, if you do nothing, it spreads. Mm -hmm. So it really takes intentionality to, to stop the spread and to make it visible. Mm -hmm. That's the key. And that's after a lot of reading, a lot of research, a lot of, you know, hard and these are conversations that people here in the States are fighting against right now. Right. So it's not simple. I live in a beautiful bucolic little town north of um, Boston called Lexington, Massachusetts. You know, shot her around the world. Paul, I live around the corner from John Hancock's house, you know, and those fights are still going on in this country, which is which is insulting, frankly, and insane. So I, I look at this and I approach this through the lens of, of hockey. Because I think it's it's where I know some people, luckily, and it's where I can make a difference, and I can and I have a bit of a platform that I've you know created for myself, frankly, yeah. and um and so I'm I'm very much about intentionality, about speaking openly about these topics, about people um wrapping their heads around them in a way that 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 our formal education hasn't done, yeah. Yeah. frankly, yeah. right? Um and and a lot of people don't want that to happen. Hmm. But it has to happen so yeah. that so that some basic truths, you know, my goal and the one thing that I would, you know, people ask me, well, what are you, why are you doing this? Why are you putting yourself out there and putting a target on your back and doing all of these things? My goal and what I would love to see, because the United States has not had the guts like Rwanda, Canada, Germany, which we made them do it, South Africa. We, we made every German citizen walk through a concentration camp at the end of the war. Mm -hmm. we, need, we need to be, the United States needs to have the guts to do truth and reconciliation. Yeah. And they just don't have it yet. You know, um, they, they don't want to, there's a third of the country who, I don't know if they'll ever come around to it, right. frankly, right? And that was fueled by the insanity that was the four years before this president. Mm. Um, and it was insanity. I'm sorry, but I'm going to just call it like it was. And I had friends that, um, I don't want to make this political, but but I had friends that would say, oh, well, you know, lower tax. And I'm like, no, 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 you don't understand. He makes life for my children more dangerous every day. Yeah. It's real simple. Those kids you love and I love, he makes their lives more dangerous every day. So anyway, enough of that. So, um, but but yeah, that's the that's the reason, right? Is yeah. that, that, I'm, that I, I would love to sue and every community to embrace these ideals and to talk yeah. openly and thoughtfully about these about these truths, because they're truths. I don't care what anyone says. I don't deal in rumors. I deal in the irrefutable. Mm -hmm. And these things are irrefutable mm -hmm. as to what has happened, how the system has has grown, and we haven't even talked about, you know, talked about First Nation people. I mean, it's just it's 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 unbelievable yeah. what what is glossed over. Yeah. in you know the name of sorry we're getting really heavy here but but you know what is glossed over and ignored frankly yes you know in the name of capitalism and in the name yeah. of you know betterment i mean yeah what you mean you mean the genocide 
that that in North America where there were 80 to 90 million, 100 million native people and there's 4 million left? Mm-hmm. It's the greatest genocide in the history of the world. Yep. And people ignore it. Yeah. It's wrong. It is. It's my two cents. Well, thank you. Thank you for sharing. Well, needs to be heard, needs to be shared, needs to be talked about. Yeah, I thank you. You're welcome. What else can I, what else can I answer for you? <laughs> um, I'd like to talk about um, your entrepreneurial spirit. So you started seven startups uh, this far in your career, and um, now you have Burst, a user-generated content platform mm-hmm. that you are the co-founder and CEO of. So I'm just interested mm-hmm. in did you always have this drive to build and create? And where did this um, entrepreneurial spirit come from? from? Yeah, it's such a crazy journey. You know, I did not know that I was an entrepreneur. Um, what I figured out really quickly is that I wanted to work for myself. Mm. And, and, and Frank, I couldn't quite, as you get older, you figure some stuff out. I couldn't pinpoint it. But when I was in certain jobs, I knew that, they weren't going to take care of me. They weren't going to, I wasn't going to climb. I wasn't, I felt like I was being judged all the time. I, you know, I'm, I'm 57. So this is a long time, you know, this is 30, 35 years, 40 years worth of work. Right. And, and I'm, I'm going through everything and I'm navigating and I'm, I, I mean, I'm relentless. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not skinny and I've run 27, mar- 26 marathons. Right. I mean, I've done a lot and I'm just don't give up no matter what. And, and that was ingrained in me by my parents. Um, and my mom said to me very early, she had that talk with me, as, as most kids of color have, you're going to have to be twice as good mm. to get what you need and where you want. She combined that with also, you can do anything you put your mind to. Like, wow, that's pretty potent rocket fuel for, you for, know, sure. uh, for a kid, right? And I believed her, and I still believe her to this day. So, so went about, got, you know, was at the NHL and had all these fun, cool jobs and did all this fun stuff. And, um, and I finally was like, you know what, I, I have to do this for myself. Mm-hmm. So that the only person who can let me go or fire me is me or my wife. That's <laughs> it, right. So, um, so I took that risk and, you know, it's been full of challenge. It's been full of victories. Yeah. But full of challenges going through full challenges right now that are just it just blows your mind yeah. right just some of the things that and realizations okay mm-hmm. this is crazy this is crazy what i'm going to tell you okay like and i realized this 24 months ago mm-hmm. 24 months ago i've been doing this for 22 years i've been an entrepreneur at the intersection of media sports and technology for 22 years i've looked at 9000 opportunities I've invested in nine in 22 years, right? That's ridiculous. It's a ton of work. We're five, one, and one. We've had some victories. Um, We've had five victories, one tie, one loss, and I've got two working still, okay? And what I discovered, I didn't know this, and I'm ashamed of it, frankly. What I discovered um, 22 years ago, what percentage of capital, investable capital to build businesses goes to black entrepreneurs in North America. Do you know that number? No. It's now 2%. Wow. It was 1% before George Floyd, it's doubled. Wow. So when people say there's no systemic racism, Mm. it's comical. Mm. 
that's the mountain I've had to climb to build those businesses, to get that capital. And so on one side, that's an incredibly steep, hard climb. On the other side, I've been able to climb it because of the progress made by King and Malcolm X and, you know, John Lewis and, you know, people are like, oh, well, there's been so much progress. Absolutely, there's been so much progress, but that's just superficial in a lot of ways. And if, if our progress is that we don't say the N-word in polite company, come on, yeah. we can do better than that, right? Yeah. So um, I hope, I think. So consequently, um, consequently, I'm after the entrenched, systemic, hard, invisible, the silently propagating mm. racism in North America. Yeah. That's what I'm after. And I'm nuts about it. And I'm doing some things right now to change that, to, um, to change people's apertures from here to here. Mm. My wife puts it best. She calls it like, if you watch Willie, watch the film. We made a social justice film disguised as a hockey movie. Right. On purpose. Mm-hmm. Right. So that people would eat their vegetables. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <Not really laughs> yeah. They were eating their vegetables. Now we're trying to do that at scale across the United States to 85% of the United States every week. Mm. Messages that teach, heal, and humanize. That's yeah. what I'm working on right now. That's incredible. We're trying. We're yeah. trying. And that's that's all we can do, I guess. Work work little by little away at, at big things that are meaningful. That's awesome. Um, so maybe we'll leave it off with, do you have a favorite memory? Um, or about Marie? There's so many memories. Um, every time I go back, I have a new one. It's, um, you know, my, my, I I literally, I'm on a group chat with, with 20 of my friends from the Sioux every day, like every day, my, my, my boys, right. Who went to Lakeway and Wadding and, you know, we're still arguing over who won NASA and, you know, (laughs) all that was, no, seriously. I mean, it's, it's crazy. So, you know, those guys are my memories and, and their current, you know, memories, like literally this morning, um, how did the Leafs lose to the Blackhawks? That was terrible, you know, kind of, and, you know, so, so that's, that's incredible um, that I've not gone here. Here's a simple way to say it. Really, I do want to point to a couple of specific memories, but here's a simple way to say it. I have not, I left the Sioux when I was 18 years old, almost mm-hmm. 40 years ago. Okay. I have not gone one month without talking to someone from Sioux St. Marie in that whole time. That's crazy. Yeah. I right. Yeah, yeah. That's wealth. That's yeah. wealth. Yeah. Right. Like what's better than that. Right. So, mm-hmm. and those people have been comprised of my classmates and my teammates and, yeah. you know, my competitors and, but, but, but in particular, my coaches, Yeah. the coaches in Sault Ste. Marie uh, and not just in hockey and uh, soccer and basketball and football, just, wow. The, the time and effort and the, and what they poured into us, yeah. you know, was just, I mean, it's, I had some of the greatest coaching in my life in that city, looking back on it, right? There was a reason that at one point from Sault Ste. Marie, there were five NHL coaches at one time. Mm-hmm. That's incredible. Those are 32 of the hardest jobs in the world to get. And five of them at one point came from Sault Ste. Marie. That's crazy, yeah. right? But it just shows the level of commitment and expertise that is is just in the water there that's in yeah. it's, it's in the dna of the city 
Yeah. And do you have a lasting note or message you want to share with people growing up in Northern Ontario? It, it um, you know, all the, all the shoveling of snow, all <laughs> of the weather, all of the elements, all of the um, just, you know, rugged, figure it out. Nothing prepares you better. Mm-hmm. That's the soup. That's what it means to come from the soup. Yes. You gotta figure it out. Yeah. And you do. <laughs> yeah. Drive 10 hours, drive nine hours for a for one hockey game. Yeah. Done. And when we and when we get there, we'll kick your butt. <laughs> <laughs> yes, 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 yes. I grew up as a competitive dancer, so I'm I'm the same thing. Driving 10 hours and yeah, winning it all. You know? Yeah. My wife, I married into a family of dancers. My uh, my sister in law is the head of the pro the dance program at Boston University. Nice. Um, my other sister runs a professional comp- sister in law runs a professional company. My my mom's mom and dad were um, started the um, New England Folk Arts um, oh. festival and an organization fifty years ago. Yeah, so I'm I'm very very immersed in. Uh, so you were doing Scottish dancing, I take it. Um, my mom is actually a Scottish Highland dance teacher, but I also grew up doing ballet, tap, jazz, lyrical, contemporary, everything. Yeah. everything. Yeah. So Marianne Taylor, my mom's, my, uh, my wife's mom was um, uh, Tina. Oh, she's busy. Um, <laughs> she, she taught for the Royal Scottish. She was a, high, she was a Scottish um, Highland dance teacher. That's what wow. she did. Wow. Yeah, yeah. I, I've, I've been to Scottish balls in a kilt. The whole thing embarrassing Crazy. myself they were like oh you're trying so hard <laughs> <laughs> the reels all of it yeah no i'm i'm, I'm not afraid <laughs> that's awesome that's so awesome it's really fun really fun <laughs> well i thank you so much i don't want to take oh, you're very welcome time, um but thank you so so much for chatting with me today and i'm just so i'm so excited to share your story with the people of sault saint marie and get it out there and i just yeah thank you Oh, you're very welcome. And if you guys, you know, I wish I could uh, just drop everything. But if you guys have, seriously, I just want to make sure my investors are mostly whole. But, but I, you know, if you guys have budget to do a screening, we'd love to do it. Yes. Thanks. Thank you. So we'll be in touch. Thank you. All right. Mari, all the best. Thank you. Yes, you you too. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening. Be sure to follow the Sioux Museum on Instagram or Facebook to get the most up-to-date information on what we are up to and more Sioux St. Marie history, of course. Season 2 is coming, so stay tuned.